It might get loud. It might light a fire within you. It's all hands on deck. Now, for your listening pleasure, 94.9 News Now presents Mean Chet Martin, the Long Island redneck Brian Bro, and fearless C.V. Burton. This is Freedom on Deck. Welcome to Freedom on Deck, 94.9 Fox News Radio. It's just your humble servant, C.V. Burton, in the studio today. Chet was taken out by a thunderstorm and lost power, so he went to his sister's house. Brian was under such tight time constraints with his family coming over that he just couldn't make it happen. So here I am, alone in the studio, along with, hopefully, your listenership, which we greatly appreciate every week. So, here's my plan of attack. We have six segments to fill today, three of which are interviews, which Chet has already done. So, for segment three, Chet's special guest is Melissa Ortiz. Olympian and former pro turned analyst, reporter, and host at Warner Media. She's also an entrepreneur and co-founder of Kickoff Coffee Company. Say that three times fast. She's also an advocate for the disabled and worked with President Trump on disability rights. For segment four... We'll replay the interview with Kevin Sorbo, actor, director, producer, and author. And for five, we have General Robert Spaulding. So you're not going to want to miss that. That leaves us with three segments, my friends. On this one, we'll talk about all the indictments coming down on President Trump and how the deep left, whom many call the administrative state, plan to stop him from running in 2024. Part two, I am going to dismantle Special Prosecutor Jack Smith's little speech he gave last Tuesday after Trump's arraignment in Miami. You don't want to miss that one either. And part six, we'll talk about what we the people can do to see victory after this nightmarish gauntlet in which we are now fighting through. Here is a list of the general harassment, the unprecedented lawfare they are piling on top of a former president and current presidential candidate. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office indicted Trump in April, charging him with 34 counts of falsifying business records in the first degree, a low-level felony in New York State. The charges are related to reimbursements to President Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, for a non-disclosure agreement to Stormy Daniels during the 2016 presidential campaign after she threatened to accuse him of an affair with her, which he denies. The indictment also accuses Trump of paying for a non-disclosure agreement with a second woman who said she had an affair and also a payment to a doorman who made some crazy unproven allegation about a love child. 
Basically, extortionists were lining up to bilk a billionaire out of thousands of dollars as he ran for president. And won, by the way. Prosecutors alleged that President Trump and others disguised the reimbursement as legal fees to hide the hush money, as they love to call it, but it's really just a common non-disclosure agreement. I mean, I just signed one today, by the way. It's so common. Uh, they're, they're accusing him of trying to hide this payment from the Federal Election Commission, which regulates campaign finance laws. That would assume that Trump viewed these payments as part of his campaign, which is totally absurd on its face. But they had to assert this as a violation of campaign finance laws just so that they could elevate a misdemeanor to a felony. And everyone with at least half a brain knows that. Of course, President Trump pleaded not guilty. That was the first one. And it was a very sad day for America on that April 4th. Trump rightly called it a witch hunt and a hoax. Also, Trump is facing a civil suit filed by E. Jean Carroll, a former magazine columnist who accused him of raping her in a department store dressing room in the mid-1990s. Trump denies the allegations and called Miss Carroll a liar, prompting her to sue him for defamation now. The case is still pending in a federal court. This is the woman who was talking about her accusation on live TV, saying that a lot of women find rape to be sexy. What? And her entire story that she was raped in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in the 1990s is exactly identical to the Law & Order SVU episode, which featured a rape scene at the very same Bergdorf Goodman store in a dressing room. She claims it happened in the 1990s, but she only told the story in 2016 while Trump was running, coincidentally. And the Law & Order episode aired in 2012, so she made it up, but based it on that episode. She even posted on Twitter around that time in 2012 that she loves that show, Law & Order SVU. So... Watch out when you lie, because the truth eventually strips you naked. No pun intended. And the lawfare to stop President Trump from running in 2024 continues. This one is recent, and we all know about it. A federal grand jury in the U.S. District Court of the Southern District of Florida filed a 44-page indictment on charges related to the hundreds of classified documents seized from Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. See, they had to seize it for optical effect, but he was willing to turn it over. All they had to do was ask him. It's so ridiculous. The indictments include 37 charges against Trump, 31 counts of willful retention of national defense information under the Espionage Act. Stop right there. That implies that Trump was planning to give the documents to other people like foreign countries and such which there is no evidence to support that whatsoever. And what do they think that they're doing? Reading Trump's mind like he's like he's planning on doing something like that in the future? 
What you, what do you can you can read his mind and see the future? Are you clairvoyant now? It's absurd to make that allegation. They're basically calling Trump a traitor to his country before he did anything treasonous. When he's actually a strong patriot and everyone in the world knows that. One count of conspiracy to obstruct justice. One count of withholding a document or record. One count of corruptly concealing a document in a federal investigation. One count of scheming to conceal. And again, reading minds. And one count of making false statements and representations. Oh, please. They are obviously padding the charges here. But Biden and Hillary, they're squeaky clean in these areas, right? No, wrong. Remember the bleach bit? Remember taking hammers to cell phones, Hillary? Biden had boxes of classified documents in Chinatown and his garage for years, and he never turned them over until just a few months ago. And keep in mind that Hillary and Joe Biden were not president of the United States at the time that they took these classified documents. They did not have the authority to declassify anything. But President Trump did have the authority, and he did declassify them. So there's no case there. This is called selective prosecution, the new normal that Barack Antichrist invented during his administration. And if you don't think he's behind all this madness today, then you are just not a serious person. Sorry. Not sorry. Trump surrendered to authorities at the federal courthouse in Miami just before 2 p.m. on June 13th, 2023. There was a huge showing of support for him there. The government-sponsored Antifa showed up to incite Trump supporters to violence, but relented when they saw most of his supporters were Cubans, and that would have been a very bad look. That's right. Spoiled, light beige-skinned communists beating darker-toned Cubans. That would be a very bad look. So nothing bad happened that day. They dispersed. Later that same Tuesday night, President Trump talked about this psychological warfare that the DOJ is conducting in interference with the 2024 election, like they interfered in the last four elections. Anyway, coming up, we are going to dismantle Special Prosecutor Jack Smith's short speech, which he gave last Tuesday in a very shaky, nervous way. Mr. Tough Guy over here. This is Freedom on Deck 94.9 Fox News Radio. Welcome back to Freedom on Deck, 94.9 FM, Fox News Radio. Chet and Brian couldn't be here. C.V. Burton holding down the fort. We're going to look at Special Prosecutor Jack Smith's short speech from Tuesday, right after Trump's arraignment in Florida. Keep in mind that Jack Smith was picked because he's a reliable hatchet man. 
He's political. He could drum up charges against innocent men and make them look guilty. But his convictions have been overturned about eight times by higher courts. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. Trump may get convicted, but the Supreme Court is likely to overturn the conviction. So let me just play his short speech without any interference at all, since it's only about two minutes long. He didn't even have the balls to take any questions. He just hightailed it out of there. And I'll break it down afterwards in pieces and interject where necessary. So here goes. Good afternoon. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with felony violations of our national security laws, as well as participating in a conspiracy to obstruct justice. This indictment was voted by a grand jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida. And I invite everyone to read it in full, to understand the scope and the gravity of the crimes charged. The men and women of the United States intelligence community and our armed forces dedicate their lives to protecting our nation and its people. Our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. Violations of those laws put our country at risk. Adherence to the rule of law is a bedrock principle of the Department of Justice, and our nation's commitment to the rule of law sets an example for the world. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. Applying those laws, collecting facts, that's what determines the outcome of an investigation. Nothing more and nothing less. The prosecutors in my office are among the most talented and experienced in the Department of Justice. They have investigated this case hewing to the highest ethical standards, and they will continue to do so as this case proceeds. It's very important for me to note that the defendants in this case must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. To that end, my office will seek a speedy trial in this matter, consistent with the public interest and the rights of the accused. We very much look forward to presenting our case to a jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida. In conclusion, I would like to thank the dedicated public servants of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, with whom my office is conducting this investigation, and who work tirelessly every day upholding the rule of law in our country. I'm deeply proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with them. Thank you very much. Why Florida, sir? Why did you decide to bring the case in Florida? And as I said, he didn't take any questions. He just bolted out of there because he's a coward. There's so much to get into. There's so much that he said that I have to respond to. So let's start over and let's uh, dismantle his disinformation. Okay, let's go. Good afternoon. Today, an indictment was unsealed. You hear the smack of his lips, that smack of lips of, of satisfaction. I hate that. I want to hear that. People do that. And he does it a few more times, too. Good afternoon. Today, an indictment was unsealed, 
charging Donald J. Trump with felony violations of our national security laws, as well as participating in a conspiracy to obstruct justice. You notice how Mr. Scary looking, the guy who looks like General Zod from Superman 2, has a, a feeble voice like a zit-faced teenager playing video games in his grandmother's basement. Don't be afraid of your adversary's face. Don't be afraid of their faces, says the Bible. It says that in the Old Testament. Don't be afraid of their faces. Just go out there and speak the truth. Don't let them intimidate you. This indictment was voted by a grand jury of citizens in the Southern District of Florida. And I invite everyone to read it in full, to understand the scope and the gravity of the crimes charged. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the gravity again. What is the gravity of the case? What is so bad? What evil thing did Donald Trump do? Oh, he mishandled the documents. Oh. The men and women of the United States intelligence community and our armed forces. There he goes smacking his lips again in satisfaction. Did you hear it? Check it out again. The men and women of the United States intelligence community and our armed forces dedicate their lives to protecting our nation and its people. So in other words, the administrative state is more deserving of honor and respect than Donald Trump, who was president of the United States and still is, in my opinion. Our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. General Zod, you do realize that the president of the United States has the authority to look at, read any classified documents that come across his desk at any time, and he can declassify them at any time. You do know that, right? You pretend you don't. Violations of those laws put our country at risk. How could the president of the United States violate any of these laws when he has the authority to declassify any document that he wants? He doesn't have to wave a magic wand over them either. Just the very act of him taking them to Mar-a-Lago is the act of declassifying them. And he was cooperating the whole entire time. This is just a farce. I don't even know why I'm even arguing this with you. Did you ever hear of the Presidential Records Act? Yes, you have. But you're lying. Adherence to the rule of law. There's that smacking of the lips again. The Department of Justice. And our nation's commitment to the rule of law sets an example for the world. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. Applying <laughs> those laws, collecting facts, that's what determines the outcome of an investigation. Excuse me, General Zod, doesn't there normally have to be a crime in order for you to start an investigation? What was the initial crime that you're investigating? What was the accusation and the evidence that a crime had taken place before you started investigating, before the raid happened. Crickets, they can't answer that because they were looking for a crime. They investigate in order to find a crime, which is the exact opposite of what our Constitution spells out. That's what they do in communist countries. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Nothing more and nothing less. The prosecutors in my office are among the most talented and experienced in the Department of Justice. Most talented 
and experienced at investigating in order to find the crime and pinning it on a man who had no evil intentions whatsoever. The evil intentions that you're inferring are inferred. They're not, it's as if you are trying to read his heart and his mind and you cannot, that's retarded. They have investigated this case hewing to the highest ethical standards. Oh, really? You mean raiding his house and his wife's underwear drawer and his son's room is ethical? No, all you had to do was pick up the phone and call him and he would have invited you over. You could have taken anything you wanted. And they will continue to do so as this case proceeds. It's very important for me to note that the defendants in this case must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Guilty of what? Of law. Guilty of what? To that end, my office will seek a speedy trial in this matter, consistent oh. with the public interest and the rights of the accused. Oh, I see. When it's in the DOJ's best interest, they can do a speedy trial. But when it comes to patriots who showed up to protest a sketchy election they don't see a courtroom for years and they're held up in solitary confinement where's their speedy trial there is none we very much look forward to presenting our case to a jury of citizens in the southern district of florida in conclusion i would like to thank the dedicated public servants of the federal bureau of investigation with whom my office is conducting this investigation and who work tirelessly every day upholding the rule of law in our country. <laughs> deeply proud to stand shoulder oh, to shoulder. Oh, the FBI them. are Thank impartial upholding the rule of law. My ass! You fake, phony frauds, all of you. And you're just fattening yourselves up for the slaughter. Because believe me, God is watching, and there is God. And God is more real than you are. Okay, straight ahead, three interviews in a row. Melissa Ortis, Kevin Sorbo, and General Robert Spaulding. Freedom on Deck, 94.9 FM, Fox News Radio. Welcome back to Freedom on Deck on 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. Chet Morton here with you, and we have a fantastic guest on the line, the senior advisor for the Able Americans Project, Melissa Ortiz, is on the line with us. Thanks for joining us today, Melissa. There's so much to talk about. Um, can you just give our listeners some insight into what an Able American Project is and what you do as their senior advisor? Sure, sure. Uh, I am responsible for figuring out the best policies for people with disabilities from a free market limited government perspective. This idea that um, the government knows better than individuals with disabilities do about their own ability to care for themselves is just ridiculous. And it is important that we have a safety net for the most vulnerable among us. Sometimes the most vulnerable among us 
have a problem getting the care they need because there are lots of people accessing resources who could be going in a different direction. But I wanted to get into, we're going to be talking about electric wheelchairs (laughs) and electric cars. Now, you penned an article for AmericanThinker.com, which I've always enjoyed, and I enjoyed your article on how electric car propaganda preys on the disabled, if anybody wants to go check that out. Uh, Melissa, what's going on here? You have a unique perspective into using electric wheelchairs. What are we looking at here? You guys were kind of the first ones to be in an electric vehicle, so tell us about the slippery slope that we may go down in these cars. Well, here's the thing. Electric wheelchairs are great, but they have to be plugged in every night, and so do electric cars. Electric wheelchairs don't do well in the cold. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been stuck on the sidewalk in D.C. simply because my battery died from the cold and it was fully charged. But there comes a point when the battery, when a certain temperature is reached outside that the battery freezes, causing everything to stop. And the same thing can happen with electric vehicles. They just don't tell you that. The same thing also happened to me in the middle of Fifth Avenue in New York City in Manhattan many, many years ago that my chair just died and sat there and thank God for New York's finest because they simply came and got me and got me out of the street. But what happens to people whose chairs or cars die in the middle of nowhere and they aren't able to get help? So the slippery slope is this. First of all, they don't tell you that the battery isn't designed to handle over a certain weight. And electric wheelchairs are heavy. And it's the same thing that they discovered back in the 1900s when there was a whole fleet of taxis in New York City. In the early 1900s, 1920s, when cars were first available, that was up and going. And they discovered that the electricity just wasn't effective at getting people where they needed to be over a certain distance. They say I, that the technology, I did not know that. They had that they neat? were they were testing out electric cars back then. Exactly. And wow. so so here's what happens. The lie that's told is well the technology has changed and the batteries are better. No, a battery is a battery is a battery and the basic way it works doesn't change. And the battery in an electric car is cost prohibitive for someone with a disability unless they're independently wealthy to replace. And if you can't replace the battery, you can't use the car. The tires on the car are very expensive. You have to use specific tires for an electric car because of the extra weight of the battery in the engine. Mm -hmm. These are all things that for people who are minorities and people of color, people with disabilities, that they don't tell you. And so they're marketing to people saying, well, you'll spend less money on gas. But they don't tell you that your electric bill is going to go up because you're charging the car at your house. They the, the misnomer that they're counting on is that you live in a place that your electric bill is part of your rent, so you won't know the difference. Well, guess what? Your landlord will know the difference and raise your rent. Right. Then the next thing is that this idea that you'll be spending less on gas and you know carbon emissions and all that. Well, where do they think the electricity comes from? It comes from coal-burning plants. <laughs> it comes from the trees. You just grab it. I mean, Exactly. It's, it's insanity. You know, Melissa, I just wanted to say, uh, getting rid of these car batteries, is it's a tough thing to do, and they're monstrous. Mm-hmm. Did you have the same experience with the electric wheelchairs? Did that become uh, something of a, a hindrance for you? No. Those batteries are able to be recycled quite nicely, the same ways as cars car batteries are able to be recycled. Okay. Combustion engine car batteries, which are very different from the EV batteries. Okay. So no, they're they're able to be recycled. The you know, the the thing for me because I as as 
Um, some people say she's everywhere all the time. <laughs> I am I am what's called a heavy user of a wheelchair. Okay. Not because I'm overweight, but I mean, we won't talk about the fact that I'm chunky because I am, but I am not somebody that sits at home and does nothing. I am everywhere all the time. And my batteries go go bad quickly, even though I treat them like babies and, and you know, and, and just take good care of them. And I shouldn't say that I do it because I am blessed to be married to my best friend. And the first thing that he does when he gets home every night, if it's not the first thing he does, it's the last thing before he goes to bed, he checks my chair over for any issues and he plugs it in and charges it. So that is, um, that is, that's the best thing. One of the best things I have going for me as far as care of my chair is that I have somebody that helps me look out for those things. But for people that don't have anybody that advocates for them and cares for them, the batteries can go bad and you don't realize it until you're suddenly stuck somewhere that the charger is not working, which brings me to kind of the, the last point that I want to make about sure. electric vehicles. First of all, um, the way that the outlets are set up, they can actually do, um, the power station can actually do what's called a reverse charge and suck the electricity out of battery. Then, like the remote power station, the, the sure. transformer station. Then, here's this other thing. With electric wheelchairs, one of the beauties of having the kind of charger that I have is that it can plug into a cigarette lighter. And I can actually charge my chair off the car battery. Oh, wow. When we're driving down the road. You can't do that with an electric vehicle because it will sap the battery. This is such a complex problem because we have an mm -hmm. administration right now that is attacking fossil fuels, which batteries use yes. anyway. I mean, that's how that's that's how we get the the uh, power for these batteries. But the mm -hmm. other part about it is when when they're asked, "What about the expense? How is everybody going to switch over? How are we all going to do this?" Uh, the attitude that you get from this administration is, "Well, we just have to do it." I mean, it, it's absolutely ludicrous melissa that they have mm -hmm. this type of of look into this and i think more folks like you especially an advocate like you are they could really learn something from listening to you i'd like to think so and i have i at one of the beauties of working for the national center for public policy research is that we have all these different policy initiatives and one of them is project 21 and donna jackson who leads that effort is actually testifying before Congress about the effects, the negative effects of the finances on people of color and African-Americans, Hispanics, um, Island Pacific, Asian Island Pacificers. And it, and these are things people need to listen to her as well. I, I, Heaven help the person that gets a hold of us on the same day. And we start talking about this because they'll, <laughs> they'll get an education before it's over. But, it, it kind of goes back to, now you have to understand, I taught high school and middle school so, social studies. I'm sorry, Annie Oakley has an opinion. This, um, is, a, this is a dog show, so you're fine. Yes, yes. And so <laughs> she, so anyway, I taught social studies and I taught modern, modern European history. And one of the things that we learned in, in European history was about Marie Antoinette. And her whole attitude toward people who were suffering was, well, let them eat cake. Yeah. And it wasn't because, you know, she said she her thing was, well, if they don't have bread, then they'll, they have cake so they can eat the cake. She was that out of tune with the reality. It sounds familiar. In her own country. Yes, it sounds incredibly familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> and I am stunned at the lack of understanding in their um, in their um in their world approach yes their approach and it's you know 
people can say what they want to about President Trump, but he cared about the most vulnerable people among us. And he also, as a businessman, understood the ideas that things cost money and it costs money to switch things over. And you need to have a plan for that before you start passing all this legislation. Absolutely. He would. I know he would in this and he has he has spoken on it, but he's yes. like, you just can't do it. And he's right. Yeah, he's absolutely right. And, and, and we're not every, ready for it, Melissa. We're just no. we're not ready. Melissa, thank you for coming on the show. I want you to put out your website and where everybody can check you out and reach out to you if you want, please. I would love it. Okay, so my our website is nationalcenter.org. And then if you just go to that website, you'll find a link to Able Americans there. Then my direct email is mortiz at nationalcenter.org. My social media is at DC Bell, B-E-L-L-E, on wheels, Melissa, on Instagram and Twitter. Melissa, keep doing what you're doing, and we'll be happy to get you back on the show soon. And thank you for the time. Sounds great. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a great night. You as well. God bless. Everybody, that is the senior advisor for the Able Americans Project, Melissa Ortiz. Uh, just a... a a mountain of information there to digest but we've got a lot more information coming your way because there's a lot more show to go here on freedom on deck 94.9 news now and stimulating talk fox news radio it's better by you better than me On deck on 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. We've had some big guests in the past. No doubt this one is a big one. He has been in Hollywood and at the top of his game for a very long time. He's got thousands of movies, TV appearances, a number one cable show. You may know him from Hercules. His name's Mr. Kevin Sorbo. Kevin, thank you for coming on with Freedom on Deck. Good to be here, sir. Kevin, I know being an outspoken Christian conservative in Hollywood has been quite a mission for you. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to be talking about the uh, mask mandates that are going to be making a return and and really what you've gone through as a conservative Christian inside Hollywood making these movies. But I wanted to ask you, what age were you at and when did you get the acting bug uh, that started this career for you? Only 11 years old. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota, a little town called Mound, Minnesota. It's on the western shore of Lake Minnetonka. And we are famous for being the home to Tonka Toys, by the way. But uh, the Guthrie Theater is a very famous theater in Minneapolis. A lot of people start there or a lot of people on Broadway actually come out there. A lot of plays start there before moving to New York, such as uh, The Lion King started there. Right. And uh, we went to see a play when I was in fifth grade. Our whole school went and it was uh, Merchant of Venice. So Shakespeare, I don't know what the hell they're saying because it was Shakespeare and I was 11 years old, but I was totally mesmerized by the whole process. And I told my mom I'm going to be an actor. And she said, that's nice, dear. And um, I started, <laughs> I don't know, just started doing a lot of plays and screwing around with it and had a minor in theater in it. Uh, had a double business major in wow. college, but the seed was set. And I started doing a lot of commercial work. Minneapolis is home to a lot of, uh, you know, Target, Best Buy, General Mills, 3M, Pillsbury, a lot of big companies are headquartered there. So they did a lot of commercial work there. So 
I got that all-important Screen Actors Guild card that you need to really get anything in L.A. or New York. So um, that's, you know, the, the bug was set early for me. And I just, I just, you know, moved to L.A., didn't know a soul. I just went out there and pursued the dream. Kevin, I can't do too much of the interview without asking about Hercules, of course, the role that really got your career uh, catapulted to number one cable show and uh, big dollars. And it also got you involved with producing. So can you kind of tell us all how that happened and how that came about for you? Um, you know what? It's to get the role of Hercules. Let me bump on that first. They had seven auditions over about two and a half months. I, they called me back seven times. Ooh. I found out later that they had auditioned 2,800 actors for that role in North America. And I got whittled mm. down to the last three. So I did put in my time on that too. And it was, uh, the process was amazing. This was supposed to be five two-hour movies. In those movies, I got to work a whole year with Anthony Quinn playing Zeus. So I worked with this guy that was, for those who don't know him, that are younger, you should know who he is. He's one of the gold, you know, Golden Age stars. Um, I think he was nominated for an Academy Award six times and won twice. And uh, it was amazing to work with him. But it was a season three of Hercules. When I, I called up Universal Studios, I lived in New Zealand for seven years. That's where I shot the series. Mm -hmm. And I said, guys, I want to direct one of these episodes. And there was no like, we'll get back to you. They said, sure, go for it. It was like, wow. wow. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. And that started my directing. So mm -hmm. I've been, I'm now been DGA now for 26 years. Kevin, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, well, I was going to do the mask mandates and maybe we'll get to that. But you've been talking about the loss of masculinity. You know, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I do think there's a loss of masculinity. And I, I, I know you're vocal about this. Tell me about how you feel about the masculinity being taken out of society right now. And a lot of the younger people out there right now losing that masculinity. Yeah, you know, men are powerful in their own way and women are powerful in their own way. We're not we're not identical. We're not the same. Um, uh, and, and it's weird that this, we got this world doing this. And it comes, from, unfortunately, from my business. It comes from movies and television and magazines and radio and all this like i said it's just the over and over constant beating down and saying that you you, you can't be this and you can't be that and mm. you know you can be whatever you want to be i don't care if somebody has a different point of view than i got a different religious point of view or a different political point of view i don't get angry about that these people I get they, they get so riled up we've created such a division now that uh, the hatred is all the thing we got out there right now. We can't survive. It's all we're going to have is anger and hate and divisiveness. Um, we got to find some kind of middle ground in there somewhere. But it's it's crazy to look at the common sense um, has just gone out the window. And yeah. uh, I, I look at people get upset. You know, now people can sit to control what my life is. I mean, I I I, I commented. <clears throat> I was supposed to do. I'm in Canada right now. I'm filming my next movie right now. We've been up here this, so we're about our fifth week up here. I'm directing this one as well as acting in it. It's called Left Behind. For those people who know those books, it's about the oh, rapture. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. It sold 80 million copies. But I, I look at, uh, I was supposed to go to Thunder Bay, Ontario. I got invited to do an autograph show there. And I commented on the same issue that's been going on for years at our southern border saying, hey, why don't you just come in the country the way you're supposed to come in the country legally? I'm not saying we shouldn't have people come to the country, um, but there was a group of native Canadians, apparently they got upset. There's five of them that called in to the uh, Comic-Con <laughs> show and said, you can't bring them here or we're going to come there and protest. Mm. And so they canceled it. Like, culture. A, a smaller group of people that I don't know who they are. They know I am, but mm. they control my life and my, my, my uh, bank account. That's insane to me. Cool. Well, well, wait a minute. All I said was you need to come to the country legally. Like my grandparents did from Norway. 
actor, director, and producer Kevin Sorbo on the line with us. Kevin, I see your presence on social media elevating the voice of the folks that follow you. But these people are out there attacking you. I saw that your Facebook fan page was taken down completely. I saw that some of your videos on YouTube were just completely disrupted and taken down as well. I know you're on Truth Social now too and some of the other... Uh, right-leaning social media sites that have come about but every time we have discussions with these folks it usually turns into name calling how have you been able to deal with that and what is it like for you when you have somebody that's constantly harassing you from the other side because i see it really does happen a lot for you now we brought racism back in the fold they use that all you're a nazi really and it, it's just They throw it out there and all they have is their labels. This is coming from the left, the party that says that they believe in freedom of speech. They believe in tolerance. It's it's BS. They don't believe in that stuff. It's a one way street that you have to agree with what they say and what what you uh, what they do. And they break their own rules constantly. You see the politicians all the time breaking their rules. And so um, you're going it, it is do as I say, not as I do. Kevin Sorbo on the line with us here on Freedom on Deck. Kevin. I, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about dealing with the liberals in Hollywood. First of all, when did you become so politically active? And what's it like working around liberals, the same type of liberals that are attacking you on social media? I, I know you do have some conservative friends in Hollywood as well. So what's that dynamic like for you when you're producing and acting and directing and trying to get something out here without all those hurdles getting in your way? Here's the thing. When I, I, I honestly think I'm an independent voter, but I mean, mm-hmm. I know guys like, you know, Dennis Miller and John Voigt, who they're friends of mine. And they said, you know, I, I didn't leave the Democrat Party. It left me. My first time I could vote was 1980. I was old enough to vote. I voted for Ronald Reagan instead of Carter. My dad was beside himself. They were Walter Mondale Democrats, you know. And I just said, I know, I don't think this Carter knows what he's doing. I think he's going to come down as one of the worst presidents we've ever had until Biden came along. But then I just kind of went, I, I, I voted I voted for um, Bill Clinton. I thought, I thought I like what he was doing. I like what he was saying. I thought that he was coming more to the center. He really tried to work with both sides, and I appreciated that. So with Hillary, forget about it. She's about as far left as you can go. But um, I honestly am one of the few people, I think, out there that really looks at what these people say and what they do. People are going to hate Trump all they want, but what Trump did, good Lord, he did exactly what he said he's going to do. We made it. We were free of any kind of oil or anything like that. Biden comes in and shuts stuff down. I'm in Calgary right now. I've been here for, I'm entering my fifth week here filming. Half these offices outside my window in the downtown here, they had to close down. The people here in this city that I've met, and I've met hundreds of them since I've been here, hate what Biden's done. They hate, they said he's cut all our jobs in our country. And now all of a sudden we're going to rely on, on, on OPEC to, you know, make sure we have a more enough oil. All the ships that are sitting out there, they can't get in. What is behind all this? And people fall for it. Guys, when CNN says stuff, it's not always true. You can't believe everything you see on the Internet. The problem with the Internet, it's still the Wild West. Kevin Sorber on the line. Kevin, I know you're limited on time. We do appreciate you coming on the show today. We hope you have a Merry Christmas. Any parting words for us? And tell everybody where they go and check you out, sir. Go to SorboStudios.com. I got four movies coming out next year and two documentaries coming out. We got it. We got it. It's been a very busy year for me and got some very good family movies and family documentaries coming out that have positive messages, not negative ones. That was the one and only Kevin Sorbo. Make sure you go to sorbostudios.com to keep up 
with everything that Kevin's doing. He's got some great movies, documentaries, and uh, works in progress. This, of course, for the holidays, they always do great stuff uh, at Sorbo Studios. It's a Christian network of movie making and documentaries and TV series as, a, as well. And Kevin's always very busy, and we appreciate him stopping by here. Listen, stick around. We've got a lot more show to go here on Freedom on Deck on 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. We'll be back soon after these messages. back to Freedom on Deck on 94.9 News Now and Stimulating Talk. Our guest is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, retired United States Air Force author of Stealth War, How China Took Over While Americans Elite Slept. General Spaulding, thank you for giving us some of your time today, sir. Great to be here. Your book, Stealth War, How China Took Over While America's Elite Slept, details China's success in infiltrating American institutions and compromising our national security. How has China been able to do all this, General Spaulding? Well, they've been able to do it because we adopted a foreign policy of open markets uh, instead of actually protecting our industries and our companies and our financial markets against the predatory and parasitic activity of the Chinese Communist Party. So, in essence, we uh, asked our corporations and investment banks to join with the Chinese Communist Party to enable their their strengthening power to give them the science and technology they need to give them the capital they need and to offshore our manufacturing to China to put uh, Chinese people to work in order to keep the Chinese Communists in power. And we did all this because we thought that if we did, that uh, they would adopt democracy as um, as a as a system of governance for China, and of course, the Chinese Communist Party has only one desire, and that's to stay in the power so that they can continue to milk um, off the uh, the Chinese people. General General Robert S. Spaulding with us right now. Now, China has been able to infiltrate our universities across the United States, spreading communism through the campuses. Um, how the heck are they are we are we learning about what china has been doing because what i'm seeing right now is uh, arrests being made at harvard with spies how many spies do we have in these universities right now how many could we have uh well so the the way the chinese system works is that the chinese communist party rules the people of china as subjects almost like if you can uh think back to you know the start of the united states uh, be, when we were a colony of, of Great Britain and the king of England ruled over Americans as subjects. The same thing exists with regard to the Chinese people. So they literally have no rights. And so the Chinese Communist Party can force them to do whatever they want to include uh, spy. And in fact, it's in their 
uh, laws that every um, citizen, if asked to spy by the government, has to comply. And so um, while, you know, they used a, um, a ruse to essentially say, well, if we call out this behavior, we're being racist, uh, they know that that uh, because of our system and our and our tendency to self-censor and to, you know, use these um, essentially very divisive terms, they adopt that as a, as a practice of, of deflecting from their own control over their population for things that we would consider uh, to be untoward to ask Americans to do because they're citizens, not subjects. So using our PC-ness as a weakness, which is obviously what they're doing there. Now, I, I've been reading about some investment funds that funnel our technology over to China. Um, what kind of stuff are they getting from us? Uh, well, so, I mean, the, the, in, in essence, what's happening, and this is, uh, you know, the, I think the real egregious thing here is that not only are um, investment funds like the California State uh, Personnel um, Retirement Fund, CalPERS, is investing in companies that build weapons for the Chinese military, like uh, Aviation Industry Corporation of China, but also now um, the retirement fund of active duty military personnel is investing in the same companies. And so, you know, American in investors, uh, which is, you know, to the tune of 50 million uh, individual investors are invested in the stock market. And a lot of them are invested in these stocks uh, that are essentially registered or listed that represent Chinese companies like Alibaba. These companies, um, you know, essentially support the, the oppression of the Chinese people, but there are also companies like Aviation Industry Corporation of China that also create the weapons that we have to fight against. So I think the really the sad thing is that, uh, you know, active duty military members are having to invest in their adversaries weapons. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Author of Stealth War, General Robert S. Spaulding on the line with us. I, I have to ask you, do you see any um, any moves by the Trump administration to try to get China under control with all these advancements that we've been having having with 5G and the buildings of the towers and really a, a lot of stuff that China could do to get uh, military favors and, and these kind of uh, disturbing things that they're developing in the United States of America. Is President Trump's administration aware and are they, are they doing anything about this? So they are, but there's a war going on in Washington, D.C., and it's uh, on one side you have U.S. corporate interests and Wall Street. On the other side, you have, uh, you know, essentially the president and other people in the administration that are saying, hey, all of these things that we did over the last 30 years have destroyed the working class in this country. They've destroyed the ability of America to source its weapons from American manufacturing, and it's destroyed our infrastructure in this country and it's destroyed the ability to protect our own population from the influence of the chinese communist party and so uh, but at the same time you have corporate america that says hey you know we need to have access to china so that we can continue selling to them and so it's a it's a it's a war between this idea that we need to continue to earn uh, quarterly profits from china while at the same time, the Chinese are using that mechanism to steal our, in, our uh, innovation, technology, talent, and capital. So, um, you know, the, the hope is that, you know, maybe perhaps this coronavirus might prov provide some impetus to, for co corporate America to get behind the administration for once and actually start pulling in the same direction 
in support of our own national interests and national security. And speaking of the coronavirus, what a lot of people have been talking about over the past week is the fact that China makes up most of our medicines and our pharmaceutical drugs, even chemotherapy, um, penicillin. They manufacture all this stuff. They send it to us. It, it sounds like we're in a real dangerous predicament with the nation of China right now. Well, I mean, we are. And, and unfortunately, I think there's a lot, particularly on in academia, that are calling for this relationship to continue unabated where um, essentially the Chinese Communist Party is portrayed as uh, even by some as democratic, uh, having democratic leanings. Of course, uh, you know, Michael Bloomberg says that Xi Jinping's not a dictator. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders uh, it, it, it defends them. And I think a lot of uh, academia defends the Chinese Communist Party in spite of the fact that they have concentration camps, they have uh, the forced organ harvesting of, yep. of prisoners of conscience and dissidents, and they have uh, they they oppress the people. They've locked, you know, in Wuhan, 11 million people in the city to die, and then and some in their own homes, uh, not allowing them to get food or medical treatment. Um, it, it is a brutal regime that really doesn't care about the Chinese people, uh, and it and especially seeks the destruction of individual liberties everywhere because it fears those ideals becoming resident in the population of china and so it's it's you know it's an existential threat for america because rather than coming at us with weapons where we're where we're well prepared to defend ourselves they come at us through you know the internet they come at us through media they come at us through corporate america and wall street and they're they're in our living rooms and so in a way we designed a very effective military to defend from a military attack, but what we didn't defend is a society from, you know, the undue influence of globalization and the internet. Absolutely. Good points, too. And if, if Bernie Sanders was ever elected president, I think China would own us. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I, I look across the um, the spectrum today of, of, the, the, of the folks that are um, running uh, for the Democratic Party, and unfortunately, I don't see any that really understand how how dangerous the Chinese Communist Party is as a as a regime devoted to the destruction of American freedoms. And so, um, you know, it's really a choice about, you know, what do, what kind of country do we want to live in? What kind of world do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a, in a country, in a world where the Chinese Communist Party essentially are able to um, call the shots? Or do we want to, to continue to, uh, along with Democratic allies and partners, you know, begin to move the world back towards where U.S. national interests uh, are are maintained, not only in our own country, but increasingly within international institutions. And General Spaulding, I'm glad that you brought up the atrocities that are happening over in China on their shores right now with this organ harvesting of the Falun Gong, and the media is dead silent and if we're not going to talk about it nothing's going to be done about it well i mean that's why i um i asked to leave the service early general spaulding tell everybody where they can go get the book and, and if there's a website connected please give that out you can follow me on twitter at robert underscore spaulding uh, my website is armchaireconomist.io all right everybody come on back to freedom on deck of a hot ground cold.
Freedom on Deck, 94.9 FM, Fox News Radio. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed those last three interviews. Thank you, Chet. It's hard to do the show alone without the other two, I'll be honest. We do lean on each other. We're like brothers. And we as children of God are brothers and sisters. And we find ourselves in trying times. Trying is the operative word. We are like swords of steel being forged in a fiery furnace which burns away the impurities and makes us tougher, stronger, and more durable. And what is that fire that purifies us? It's the trials and tribulations. It's persecution and sometimes temptation. The temptation to quit and give up. Never give up. He that gives up is like the sword of steel that was not purified long enough in the fire to burn off the imperfections. It's the sword that breaks in half when it first clashes against the enemy's sword. No, we have to be the weapon. God knows they weaponize everything against you. Not just the DOJ, but they've weaponized our schools, our TV, our entertainment, the news media, social media, internet search engines. They watch you, they censor you, and they are trying by any and all means to control you. They want you weak. They want you ill, fat, lazy, ignorant, stoned, obsessed with games, addicted to your phone, addicted to sex, drugs, and alcohol. The last thing they want is for you to be self-sufficient, alert, thinking for yourself, healthy, reading, and researching. They are after you. And when I say you, I mean us. So what do we do when we live in a time like this where we're already unsure if our votes are being counted accurately and then we're not even allowed to have the candidate we want because they are doing everything in their power to take him out of the race so that we have one less choice. The choice of the one we are not even allowed to support. The one they fear the most. The one who was kicked off Twitter. Whom they are prosecuting for non-crimes. With the threat of 400 years in jail. What did he do that was so evil? He mishandled a payment. Which they claim should have been filed under campaign contribution. When it was really a legal fee? A campaign contribution to your own campaign? How does that work? You can't use your own money in your own campaign? Or if you pay a lawyer, it's a crime because it's supposed to be a campaign? I don't get it. You're a criminal because you took your presidential records, which the National Archives and Records Administration had access to any time they wanted. All they had to do was call 
and and they refuse to assist Trump in the transition the way they assisted every other president who was leaving office. So it was a setup, even from that point of view. So what was the evil, despicable crime that deserves 400 years in jail? He kept his record in boxes behind a locked door with armed guards around his house at all times. DOJ, are you sure you are not freaking out because you don't want Trump running again? I mean, are you sure you are not freaking out because he might have crossfire hurricane documents in there? Which I know for a fact because I remember clearly that President Trump, while he was president, declassified all the crossfire hurricane documents. So, the DOJ and the FBI, are you afraid Trump might win the presidency back again and take those documents and hang you with them as you deserve? James Comey, former FBI director, during the time of Crossfire Hurricane, said as much himself just a few weeks ago. He said that he was afraid that Trump will win because then he might engage in retribution. Hey, Comey, listen up. Retribution is a delicious thing when conducted against dirty, rotten cops like you, you piece of lying trash. So what do we do in the meantime? We have about 17 months left before the next election. 18 months before the next president is seated. This little pocket of time, a year and a half, could be the most trying time of our lives. The deep left are terrified and desperate. They might be hiding crimes far worse than just crossfire hurricane. It could be much worse by the way they are acting, by the way they are hiding. For all you know, it might be human trafficking, ritual abuse of human beings, murders, mutilations, God knows what all. Now, they are acting so desperate, it makes you wonder what is in their closet. But here we are, from our perspective, they've amassed so much power unto themselves that the fight looks insurmountable and unwinnable. A lot of our toughest fighters are starting to crumble, they're starting to wither away and 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 cower and crawl under their beds because they think we are doomed. But this is what separates the men from the boys. From our perspective, if they win this time around, they will amass all the power that is left, leaving all of us at their mercy. And you know they have no mercy. They are sadistic beyond description anymore. We have never seen such degradation, such depravity, such total abuse of power in our lives. The question is, do we give up or do we turn to God? Perhaps God is putting us in an impossible situation so that 
when we turn to him, while not quitting, while while we keep on fighting, and you know, you've you've heard the expression, God helps those who help themselves. We have to keep in the fight, even when we turn to him for help. So that when we are delivered, we will know. Everyone will know that it was God who delivered us. What does scripture say? Yahweh says to you, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. 2 Chronicles 20.15 And again, Yahweh's eyes run back and forth throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. 2 Chronicles 16.9 Make your hearts perfect toward him. Don't be afraid because of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says Yahweh. I have made your forehead as a diamond, harder than flint. Don't be afraid of them, neither be dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house, Ezekiel 3.9. Don't be afraid of their scary looks like General Zod, Jack Smith, who looks so tough but has the voice of a mouse because he has the soul of a mouse because he's really terrified inside. So he puts forth a, a, a facade. Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once. Go home. And 22,000 returned and 10,000 remained. Judges 7.3. And guess what? They won the battle. You know why? Because they weren't afraid and they trusted God. So I'll leave you with this. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Thomas Paine. And man, am I going to celebrate. You have no idea. See you next week. Freedom on Deck, 94.9 FM, Fox News Radio.